Welcome, everybody, to Fear and Loathing in Cinema Podcast. We have a wonderful episode for you this week. This might break our streak, our long-running streak of movies that we love. Uh, It's hard to say. It's going to be a close race to the finish with this episode this week of Fear and Loathing in Las in Las Vegas, in in cinema, in podcast. Uh, We're so happy to be here. It is March 14th. It is pie day. Uh, We're going to eat our pie. We are going to have nightmares. I am Brian Kluger, and I'm joined by the two hosts with the most, the people who I love to dream with uh, and enter that Sandman sleep, Preston Barta and Dan Moran. How are you two gentlemen doing today? Tired and trying Hot. not to dream. <laughs> right? I, Tired and not to dream. Dan, you doing all right, bud? I took an adrenaline shot straight to the heart, so I would not fall asleep during talking about this movie. So the I'm rock and the rock and pulp fiction style. Hell yeah. And Batman. <laughs> and Batman. We're 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 we God, there, there's a theme here. So this week's episode, we are talking about, we are discussing on Fear and Loathing in Cinema podcast, Nightmare on Elm Street. Not the original, but the 2010 remake produced by the one, the only, the legend in his own mind, Michael Bay. Uh, Yeah, so if you've listened to this podcast before, it's usually we go back, we take a (laughs) film, and that wasn't really critically praised it wasn't liked by a lot of people uh and we come back to it and we're like man that movie's actually pretty good it holds up it's amazing you know we've done it with wild wild west we've done it with the flintstones we've done it with speed 2 we've done it with jurassic park 3 rocky 5 i think today we are going to break this crazy streak of movies that we could just can't um we just can't recommend this is anymore. the loathing part of our name yes it's yeah. it's it's we're in loathing territory it's goddamn bat country as some good people would like to say uh so this movie came out in 2010 and it was directed by Samuel Bayer who we will we will talk about um it was written by Wesley Strick and Eric uh, Hesser? I can't remember. Yeah, I don't know. But it was, it was produced by Brad Fuller and Michael Bay. And then it stars Jackie Earl Haley as Freddy Krueger himself, Kyle Gallner, um, Rooney Mara in her first feature film, Rooney Mara, Katie Cassidy, Thomas Decker, and Kellen Lutz. Um, and music by Steve Jablonski, who's went on to done a huge bunch of things. This movie was released um, in April of 2010. It was made for $35 million and it made over $117 million, making it one of the biggest box office successes money-wise for the franchise of Nightmare on Elm Street. But we're here today to revisit it. Right. So let's start as we usually do when we first saw this movie. Uh, It was 2010. I was five years out of college i was excited for this movie because i just love nightmare on elm street people ask me what's your favorite you know horror movie slasher it's always freddy krueger because he's just excellent you almost kind of root for him a lot of the times and you know after michael bay and platinum dunes his company took over the texas chainsaw massacre franchise 
you know, there's a lot of bad things about it, but it, you know, it stuck its landing for the most part. It was, it was pretty good. So at some point I was like, okay, I'm kind of into Nightmare on Elm Street remake and Jackie Earl Haley coming off of, you know, Watchmen. You're just like, yeah, this sounds awesome. He was the rage at the time. And I remember going in excited and then coming out of this movie, the complete opposite of excited. I think there was like a moment or two that was like, that's okay. But other than that, I just hated the movie. All right. So first off, Preston, you got to tell me when you first saw this, what did you think? So uh, right there with you, I went, I got a bunch of my friends to get, because so I was in college at the time that this came out. And what I did at that time is me, I got a big group together. I think maybe I've mentioned this on the podcast for something else that we've done, but we get a big group together. We go to the midnight showing and this one, we went to the movie tavern in Ditton. So we had our tanker glasses, like the huge beer glasses and we watched the movie and I just had a really good friend with me who gave his own commentary track throughout this because at a certain point you realize oh this is that movie let's make it fun (laughs) for ourselves so that's exactly what happened and I had a blast watching it at that time okay watching it by yourself so basically Uh, you watched it with mst3k riff tracks basically okay okay there you go so Dan do you remember seeing this for the first time did you see it in the theater yeah, so this is when I was um, a manager at a movie theater and a projectionist. So we had to build it up and then we had to tech it, you know, like we got paid to watch the movie. And I remember coming out and in the immortal words of Dr. Ian Malcolm from Jurassic Park, that is one big pile of shit um, is how I felt walking out of that movie. Yep. It was just so bad. It's It's a bad movie. It is, yeah, we're going to get into why it is a bad movie. <laughs> and and it's interesting because we think it's bad and so many people thought it was bad when it came out because it's sitting at a 14% on Rotten Tomatoes with a, like 185 reviews of it. And it's great now, you know, doing some research for the film and going back and reading articles and interviews over the last couple of years. Pretty much everybody who was in this movie hates it. And so this brings us to the director, um, Samuel Bayer. Samuel Bayer um, is a 61-year-old dude from New York who has directed probably some of the most iconic and best music videos of all time. Uh, For instance, he directed uh, Smells Like Teen Spirit for Nirvana. He directed Metallica, Rolling Stones, Blind Melon, Iron Maiden, Ramones, uh Lenny Kravitz Green Day Chemical Romance Justin Timber he's done it all like he's made some amazing freaking music videos and so the studio and Michael Bay wanted him to direct this they offered it to him at least two or three times to direct it and he said no he just like no I don't want to do this I'm not doing this and Michael Bay wrote him a letter in telling him how amazing he was and this is what we want to do with the movie. He eventually said yes. Samuel went on to direct this movie and this is the only movie he has ever directed. (laughs) He he must have had such a terrible time 
and just didn't like the outcome. He 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 went straight back to music videos, uh, which is hilarious to me. And then you have writers on this movie who, you know, you're you're kind of thinking, why did they ask me to do that? So you have the the writer who is Wesley Strick, who wrote Arachnophobia, Cape Fear, Batman Returns, Wolf, The Saint. That's pretty awesome. Uh, mm-hmm. And then you have Nightmare on Elm Street, 2010. That dude didn't come back to writing until 2015 with The Man in the High Castle, which is pretty decent. And then the other uh, writer, Eric. Heiser. Yeah, Eric. This was like his first writing gig. Um, and then yeah. he went on to do Final Destination 5, the prequel to The Thing. Uh, but then he did Arrival, which was Oscar-winning Arrival, and then Bloodshot from 2020 and Bird Box. So you're just kind of like, where? What's happening Wait, right what? now? Yeah, How this does doesn't he go from sense. Arrival to Bloodshot. That's amazing. It is what? amazing, right? It doesn't make sense. So with this being known, you have like a director who really didn't want to come onto the movie. You have writers who you know have done. One has done a few things. One is coming in new. And of course, everybody is familiar with Nightmare on Elm Street, but you don't bring back, um, you don't bring back Robert England, the guy who originally played him. And then you don't involve Wes Craven. I just think you're going, you're not going to have a good thing. So Preston, what do you think about Samuel Bayer? What do you think about these two writers? I mean, the writers clearly have done either good things before or after, so they show talent. It's just not within this bracket. Um, same thing with Samuel Bayer. Like, I can't really recall the music videos that he's done, but I know you listed them, but I I can't speak to his talent in that. But uh, there are, and I'm sure we're, we'll get to it because there's, there's a lot of negative things to get through, but there are just less than a handful of good things that we can talk about too (laughs) primarily being Rooney Mara's performance being better than the Nancy from the original I would say um she's just a better actress and so um yeah uh yeah the talent the talent's here and so like on paper it sounds like it's a recipe for good things recipe for a good nightmare but uh that was not the case and that's still not the case 13 years later Right, it's not. Uh, Dan, did you know anything about Samuel Bayer before this podcast or the writers? I knew nothing. I knew nothing about who. I knew that it was before doing a little research to come on the podcast and talk about it. The only thing that I knew was this was Michael Bay trying to cash in some of the success that he had on his production company redoing um, Friday the 13th and some other horror movies that I think Chainsaw Massacre that he was kind of doing soft reboots of by putting a kind of new spin on them. So um, that was all I knew coming in. I had no idea that there were people who could write something as brilliant as Arrival and then follow it up with Bloodshot. (laughs) (laughs) Right. There was probably some slight hope at the time because I think the Friday the 13th movie he did was actually pretty good. Yeah, no, that, it was good. But so we're going to talk about. Yeah, no, it was super fun. And so that's what we're going to talk about with this new Nightmare movie, this reboot of the franchise, because when you think of the original Nightmare on Elm Streets, when you think of 
uh, Freddy Krueger, played by Robert England, you have this notion that, okay, you're going to have a group of kids there. You're going to get some time with them. They're going to have fun. They're going to be joking. You're going to bond with them before they eventually meet Freddy. And then you have Freddy Krueger, who is a son of a thousand maniacs. He's a bastard. He's an asshole. He's a killer. But he also has this charm where he's funny and you kind of root him. He's cool. And so I guess with what the studio Platinum Dunes and Michael Bay want to do, they wanted to take away that charm from Freddy Krueger and make him completely dark and like kind of unfunny uh, for at least most of the movie, right? But that's what all movies were doing at this time. And it's yeah. it's easy to for them to look at the success of their Friday the 13th and Chainsaw remakes. Those guys don't have personalities. They're relentless killing machines. So putting, you know, new technology and whatnot to make them gory or faster, stronger, and the kills better. But Freddy Krueger, the only reason why he's an interesting killer is because he has some snark and some charm and he's delighting in what he's doing and his facial expressions and like he's evil and you get to enjoy that it's not a mask it's his burned up face and and so i think that they just were like you know what people want even darker even gorier let's make it really dark and profound and, and, and look like, realistic no, we just want a guy with yeah we want a guy with steak knives on his fingers like making a bunch of dream puns and like killing you like that's that's all people want from it. Don't make it any more than what it should be. Right, right. So before we get to the Freddy Krueger character himself in this movie, I got to ask and I'll start with Preston. I think one of the severe flaws of this movie and it was talked about at the time was the deep 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 lack of empathy and bond for any of the characters because even in the original film in part two part three you get at least 20 to 30 minutes with the characters with the kids that are being stalked and killed having a good time enjoying themselves laughing you know have having a good time at school and coming home like they're having little parties they're doing their thing with this new one there's absolutely none of that it kind of starts with the nightmares happening and everybody being in a serious state of um confusion deliria and sleep and there's not really any time to kind of develop those connections, develop those connections right right Preston. so what do you think about that do you think that's like one of the most severe flaws of the film yeah, because the movie opens with Kellen Lutz coming fresh off the twilight, and he's he's essentially supposed to be the cold open here. But what's unique about the original is that it has a sequence that's very similar in that somebody being uh, lured into the uh, warehouse, so to speak, uh, the boiler room, and but that person doesn't get killed right away they it we they, they kind of make a 30 minute long uh opening to scream like how because you know in scream you think that drew barrymore is going to be the main character and that doesn't end up being the case and so in original uh nightmare on elm street you spend quite a bit of time with nina and 
we're seeing them interact with each other and they're having fun they're having silly discussions and things like that and there's just not a this is pretty much humorless it's just completely serious the whole time and i just everybody's so wooden and i don't know it's just like every bit of humanity has been just sucked out of this film. And it's just the whole thing almost feels like it's in a nightmare itself. Like it doesn't need to go to the second level of inception. It's just like there in the first level. Um, so yeah, it needed, it needed to not kill Kellen Lutz at the top, even though like you kind of get like invisible man vibes with like the throat cutting and just being like completely like what what the hell is going on i mean it's slightly kind of cool effect but it doesn't do it any favors of building any sort of connections or anything it, it could have been just like hey this guy is paranoid he's been and, and then he gets close to dying but he doesn't die and then right somebody... yeah there there's no it cuts in There's right no when he's in this of the fear really it's just like he died and then we can't like get his side of it for very long like what's going on with him to build that fear yeah throughout the rest it, of the movie it just happens a, he's dead and everybody's like it's just moves on to the next person and they're like okay and like and it follows kind of way and 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 then i gotta i gotta deal with it and then they die and then go to the next person it's just the same thing kind of happening over and over yeah it's a movie of third acts. It's a movie yes. of continuous third acts. You never get, you never get any sort of establishment of who these people are, why we should care about them. I mean, they try to retcon it with a, with a flashback, but you know what I mean? Like there's no, why should I care about anybody in this entire movie start to finish? Well, uh, they're you, already in the kill screen. Right. They're already in a state. Like you don't see them laugh. You don't see them having a good time. They're already in that state of paranoia and sleep depravity where you're just like, well, I don't care about these characters. And I think what they, their biggest goal in this movie was to play with the audience as like, kind of like they did with Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the remake with Jessica Beals. Like, do we make Leatherface? sympathetic because he was abused or whatever and that's why he is the way he is you know i don't need that um with this movie they played with the notion of freddie being framed by asshole kids at school saying that the janitor was an asshole and abusing them and molesting them and it was a lie and the parents believe their kids and killed freddie krueger and I think with that, oh man, it was just, it was done so poorly. And you're just like, why, why, why would you even think that? Why would you? I mean, Freddie's a bad guy. Why would we want to spend the whole movie for a reveal that we already know what's gonna what it's gonna be? I mean, did did you get that watching that back then and even today and how bad that whole execution was? Well, they. This this one, I mean, like, the parents had the right idea, <laughs> but like, uh, they he didn't need it, and I, so that's that's what I agree, I agree with you on. But also, Freddie, like, I get it, but it was the parents who killed you, dude. You know, <laughs> like, why yeah. is it? Why aren't you going after the parents? Like, right, uh, but, but I guess the whole family. 
Right. And I think it was the line by Kyle Gallner that said, like, he's not after us because we lied. He's after us because we told the truth. And, you know, we don't I mean, we see like this ridiculous, like basement lair that even has like a trap door and secret door to another lair. And it was like, where are we going with this? What are we doing? And he has like. Well, these not only that. Yeah, it's just, yeah, they, they tried to be like, hey, here's how we're going to be even edgier. Let's make him a molester. And they're like, oh, okay, I guess that works. Let's make him a child molester. Right. And that was, again, like, oh, it's so dark now. Ooh, it's like, now he could have just been a murderer, and it would the story would have worked the exact same way, especially with no payoff other than, hey, guess what, parents? If, if things aren't going right for you, burn a man alive. Like, <laughs> and, and allegedly, know. you know, originally... Wes Craven in the first movie wanted to make him a child molester rather than a child murderer. But at the time there were so many cases in California of child molestation. He did away with that and made him a child murderer, which I think, you know, makes might him more be sinister. Worse. Yeah. Makes him more sinister. Cause you're actually killing somebody, um, a killing yeah. a kid rather than, you know, the child surviving and having trauma. Um, and so, but they did, they did it this way. This time, and I think for the fact that for the whole movie, the kids are angry at the parents for like, why did you kill this poor, innocent man? And then they find out themselves after pretty much it's too late uh, that the reveal in quotation marks is that he actually did do all this terrible stuff. Um, I don't know. I just didn't work for me with that because, again, with the flashbacks, it shows him like you know, he's weird, but he's seemingly okay. I don't know. And the whole Nancy angle with, he was obsessed with Nancy, but every other kid, I don't know. Preston shed some light on this. Why? (laughs) (laughs) Why? I mean, did you, what do you think? Like coming back to watch it now, like, does that angle work or no? Yeah. I mean, it doesn't work at all. It's just incredibly frustrating. Like you can just see uh, the the beats that are in place for it to actually succeed. And I think it just does a lot of explaining too. Like it it could have been a very like stripped down version, make it simple and, um, yeah just keep it simple stupid and they could have done they could have done something like that and just spent more time trying to generate fear for freddie but yet it just doesn't exist uh, because there's a lot for the story to accomplish and um i I think it just kind of sabotaged the whole mission kamikaze style yeah, I agree. I agree. And so, so, okay, so what about the kill scenes? Besides a couple of small flashes of moments, a lot of these kills, a lot of these moments of suspense were totally stereotypical, very awful jump scares where the scene would be very silent, devoid of any sound. Somebody's looking around. All of a sudden, Freddie would pop out of nowhere. It happened, you know, every few minutes and it was like rinse repeat you know i and it did not work i think they were more at least the director or maybe michael bay told them to do it this way but he's like yeah this is how you do it there was no atmosphere in this movie to me i'm no, trying to think goes, but that goes back to them trying to turn freddy krueger into jason or texas chainsaw massacre yeah. where it's like you're there you don't hear anything. And then all of a sudden the chainsaw revs up or Jason's behind you where it's 
Freddie told you he was there the entire time to make it. He, he played cat and mouse with people. And that, that would have been so much more, almost how like the remake of it really played with the notion of these people know they're in a make-believe land or they know something terrible is happening to them. And it was the slow buildup until it was revealed of how bad it really was for them. And in this movie, it was like, huh, this seems kind of weird. Boom, jump scare. And it just, I think, I don't want to say that they didn't understand the character, but you can tell they took the law, the wrong lessons from the success of their other remakes and reboots and applied them to a franchise that frankly didn't need it and threw the tone off. Agreed. Yeah. What do you think, Preston? Um, there, I'm trying to think of all the scenes that I actually thought were pretty decent or like there would be like just a few frames of decency within yeah. it. Um, one of what? them is yeah. when um, y'all might have others because I'm failing to remember some of them uh, at the moment, but there's one with uh, Thomas Decker's character who plays Jesse Braun. He's kind of like this uh, punk kid. Uh, well, I guess there's two punk kids. Quentin kind of looks like it too, wearing a beanie, but he's the other one uh, that uh, gets, who's, who's um, frame or thinks, everybody thinks that he killed Nancy. And so he's running off. He has all the blood all over him. He get, eventually gets captured and he goes to jail. And the, the decent part for me, I think is when he's in the jail cell and he's trying to keep himself awake. And then a guard opens the door and says, Hey, somebody post your bail. And then he just gets out uh, relaxed a little bit. And then he realizes pretty quickly that he's uh, asleep because he turns around there's a wall there i was like okay that, that was pretty good like so that's that's it trying to attempt to generate some fear and build like a good cat and mouse type of scenario uh it, i wish it would have played out a little bit longer more effectively before it got into like because it, it just immediately after that goes to him being in, in the boiler room or whatever you want to call it um and I think if they would have just played with his mind a little bit longer, um, making him confused as to, well, is this reality? Is this not? Am I really dreaming? Um, just kind of poke at him a little bit longer. And I think that's what it would would have made it uh, a more a, a better uh, wind up for all this stuff. Right. Yeah. Right. You were saying something, Dan? That's all my answer. Okay. Okay. I'm trying to figure... that, was the mo- that was the one time where they were trying to like use the dreams as a playful cat and mouse. Let's trick someone into keeping the audience on edge and also showing the character kind of let his guard down and then realize, oh no, I'm in the wrong place. And instead of ramping up the tension with more reveals or more little things happening to get that anxiety anxiety up, it was just like, boom, it's over. Look at this gory kill. Right. Yeah. Uh, like know. if it was in a movie that yeah. was really, really quality all throughout, that would be the moment in the, in the theater when everybody would be like, oh, it's not real. Or, right. So, yeah, I know. It, I like it, that. 
there there's a couple moments for me and it would uh, flashes that i actually st- still liked um one of them was you know the homage the, the throwback to when the girl is being attacked by freddie and she's going all over the walls and the ceiling of her bedroom yeah um and in this version it's much more violent he's whipping her and throwing her against the walls and how he does the final stab motion across her throat and all the way down to her legs across her stomach and chest well that was pretty effective i was like man this is getting violent that it it made it more so that instead of she's being uh just like being dragged across the ceiling and walls in the original she's being whipped Mm -hmm. like violently across that and the other one was towards the end when uh Rooney Mara is running up the stairs and she gets in the hallway and it's just filled with blood it's kind of like the staircase oatmeal scene when you can't like fall I actually liked that it was like just a hallway full of blood that she couldn't get up and I was like I kind of like this dream yes yes uh and, and it's just that those like 10 seconds because afterwards I don't like it and before that I yeah. don't like it but just that those couple moments I really liked and I remember watching it in the for the first time in the theater and even in this time Freddie is so dark and he's so serious throughout the movie and then towards the end with Rooney Mara in those last few minutes he kind of gets that that Freddie charm those sick puns uh back and I was like wait where did this come from is he like coming into his own now like oh, it was just he's like back a, with his girl that was his favorite girl man he's, okay he's so he's that's what I figured and I was like but it doesn't match the rest of the movie and I was like what are we doing here okay so with that being said the dog the the what there was one with the dog because when they when Freddie kills the dog he's like I was just petting him oh yeah I was just I I kind of laughed at that yeah yeah (laughs) so Jackie Earl Haley. We love Jackie Earl Haley, of course, in Watchmen and a few other things. With him in this role, what did you think of him in this role? What do you think of the look of Freddie? Because I know they tried to get a real burn victim look for him, but he ended up just looking like an alien from another planet in this movie. And I cannot get behind it. I can, it was it every time he was on screen with the mix of latex and the CG, you know, muscles and stuff spurting out, it didn't look right. And with he just, he didn't look, he looked supernatural in the, element of like he's an alien from another planet it looks bad it it didn't work like he wasn't human you don't think he's human what do you think it's bad it didn't look good nothing about it looked good it like you said it didn't look real didn't look alien he didn't look like a burn victim it was just i don't it looked like somebody trying to do a freddy krueger cosplay somewhere you know, like it didn't for all the budget. Well, for all the budget and all the money they put in. And they, I think that they made Jason look really cool in the remake. I think they made Leatherface look awesome in their remake. So it's the same production studio. And in this one, they were just like, I guess we'll just put a bunch of latex and makeup on him to say that we did this. But it didn't work. And they, I can't believe the screen tests and everything. They were just like, yeah, this is exactly how we want our signature character in a film that we're trying to start a new franchise with. We definitely want him to look like this. It was very poorly done. Preston, what do you think? Do you think he looked good? Do you think 
Jackie did a good, a decent job with what he'd had, or it was just a misfire? No, I don't think they should have cast him. I think he's good at playing. He he could probably play like a kid killer without the whole Freddy scenario in there. Like I think he, he could pull that off. Little um, children. Yeah, yeah, little children. Um <laughs> so uh yeah, but not with this. Not not with because as soon as he starts talking with this kind of like Batman voice, because he even says like he says a Batman look at me look at me look at me yeah (laughs) yeah um so it's just silly um because yeah his voice is sinister that's why he works well for like Rorschach and and projects like that but when you have a certain expectation for Freddy to carry over it's a little bit easier with characters like Leatherface and Jason who are just essentially wearing masks and they can just really build them out and make them scary because they don't really talk that much here. Freddie's known for talking. He's known for his look that looks otherworldly and doesn't have a realistic look to it. So I think with it looking realistic, it's just like, like I just don't want to see that guy, but there was something about seeing Freddie Robert England's Freddie that you know he still has his nose he does have these burnt marks but it feels kind of cartoonish a little bit but scary and like there but compelling too from the way that he talks as we mentioned so there's just a they they figured that out in the the proper recipe with the original and here with this particular tone that they were trying to achieve it didn't work it just kind of pissed me off with like him wearing i was like oh you don't you shouldn't be wearing that that sweater like you don't deserve it um so yeah clancy brown would have been a better freddy more interesting freddy to me agreed eichner would have been a really good freddy agreed agreed um so with that being said i agree with that i i i really like jackie earl haley not a good freddy at whatsoever um rooney mara she it's her first big feature film role and with what she was given, she turns it in. It's why she's as a star. She is now yeah, um, overqualified over overqualified for sure. But mm-hmm. again, she's kind of just, you know, in a state of Shelly Duvall shining through the whole movie. Doesn't know yeah. what's happening. So there's that. Okay. Steve Jablonski. Uh, we all love him as a film composer. How do you think he did with this score? All I pulled out was the the theme track that I already recognized. And okay. So I I didn't really take too much notice of it. Okay. Yeah, it, okay. Didn't, it didn't jump out to me either. No, it's 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 interesting. Yeah, I agree. You 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 feel you hear like the the original notes, the original theme. But other than that, there, this movie is pretty forgettable, but it's also unforgettable because of how much we hated it and how much it still is not great. Like it's really weird because, you know, like Friday 13th revamp in the text chainsaw massacre. There's like elements of that, that are very memorable that I like a a lot. Um, In this one, it's weird because with these movies minus text chainsaw massacre, why is it that Freddie and nightmare on Elm street just has so much trouble doing anything like why haven't we gotten a better script a tv show an hbo max series another movie remake something with robert england you know like what's the deal here like 
people love this. There's I just think- too many things at play. Too many things yeah. to to tr- for an actor to nail down to perfect Freddie for yep. like what I said earlier versus Jason and Leatherface when all you need is just a real tall son of a bitch in there and then you, you can pull it off uh, with right. the costume department and make it look good. Uh, but here, you need, yeah. Go ahead, you need to get an actor who's going to buy in to the Freddie character because they're the show. And so if you made a show about it, it's a show about Freddy. It's not a show about the kid. Those are just cannon fodder. Every episode is him cutting through people. You have to make it all about him. And despite how much we talk about, oh, this kind of horror movie kind of flipped the script or whatnot, I don't think people are really like excited to watch the dream murdering um, burn victim who may or may not be a child molester. You know, like for him to be the main character, it's weird. Whereas if you do a a Camp Crystal Lake show that I've heard is coming out. You know, Jason's out there, you know, he's, but it's going to focus on the kids who are there at the camp. You know, if you do Texas Chainsaw Massacre, it's the kids that get stranded on the side of the road and walk up to this place with, with a Freddy Krueger, any sort of concept has to center around Freddy being essentially the protagonist because he has to be so charming and he has to be so fun, but he also has to be so sadistic that it's just such a weird balance to to get to work. I'm honestly surprised they didn't start. They haven't figured out a way to like spin it at, comedically, and I don't mean that in a a spoof sense, but almost like I'm surprised the twist on it hasn't been like Freddie was misunderstood type situation. And so, just as like I don't know, like a one off movie or something. I, I, that's what's surprising to me because I think it'd be very funny. It's like yeah, I'm burned, but I can, you know, mess with people in their dreams. <laughs> like that sort of a thing. That, I mean, I'm, I'm in for that. If it's done well, uh, I just love the Freddy character so much. And I hope at some point in time, we do get Robert England back in the the makeup. I do hope they can do something with this franchise, but I think as I speak for the three of us, y'all can say it. Um, do we recommend this movie? I know I certainly don't recommend this movie, even with her. Uh, I mean, maybe I would like to watch it with like the professional riff tracks guys. Uh, but other than that, I don't know. I can't recommend this movie press. And what do you think? Yeah, there, there's not, there's not a lot of rewards here at all. So I can't say that it's worth your 90 minutes to watch this. You can probably look at a few stills of the things that we've mentioned or clips, but even then, there's just so many greater things shown across the other seven films, eight, if you include Freddy versus Jason, that uh, that are more worth your time and does all the yeah. things that are positive uh, that we are what we want out of a film like this. And so, yeah, it's not worth uh, watching. Um, unless you're related to Kellen Mutt, there's no reason to watch this movie. <laughs> but why would they even want to watch it? He's only in it for two minutes. So they're like, look at it. But no, look, he he opened the movie, and they're like, yeah. he opened the movie. Yeah, he was in the opening of the movie. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so good. So, do do you want to recommend this, uh, Dan? No, you can pass on this. There's there's as Preston said, seven or eight other ones that are vastly superior. So why start with the garbage? Um, yeah. Just 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 hope that there's a better. Plus, we've done what eight or nine movies on this podcast and this is the only one we've said isn't worth going back so 
try one of the other ones. Oh, no, we've done way more than the, an eight or nine on this show, and everyone we have uh, we we've um, we've recommended. Found I think something. this is the first one. This is like Preston said. This is the loathing part. <laughs> this yep. is a, we we fear going to all these movies again, but we come out on the other side, you know, clean and washed away our sins, basically. <laughs> um, uh. I will say it was really funny that uh, Connie Britton getting the the glove through her face. That I did, I did enjoy that. Just just the fact that it was her, right? Like yes, yes, uh, that was great. Uh, a much more violent end than the original. Just being sucked through the door the, yeah, window. The <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, that was that's Nightmare on Elm Street 2010. Um, it is not really available to stream anywhere. You have to buy it or rent it. I had um, to buy it. Yeah, yeah, that's what I did. I did. Uh, I I bought it on the Voodoo. I went down to my nearest Voodoo and watched it. Uh, so. Thank you Platinum for listening Dune. to the podcast. Right, yeah. right. Thank you. Platinum Dune saw the the uptick in in rentals and purchases yeah. over the, the first few days, and they're like, "Oh, we got a hit on our hands." <laughs> three three guys got it, and first time in seven years or something. <laughs> Let, let's reach out. We got to make a sequel. Well, then hire us, and we'll make you a good movie. Uh, we are fear and loathing in cinema podcast. Uh, thank you always for listening. I'm Brian Kluger. You can find me at highdefdigest.com. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram and YouTube, Brian Kluger. Preston Barta, you can find him at the Denton Record Chronicle. You can find him at freshfiction.tv. He is Blu-ray Dad on Instagram and Preston Barta on Twitter. And on YouTube, find out all of his latest reviews and interviews from South by Southwest. And then Dan Moran, he runs the Fear and Loathing in Cinema podcast Instagram account. Please follow that. Please, please follow us. We do all sorts of fun stuff on there. Thank you. Yep. We'll be back next week with another episode that we're, we're, we're going to get back into the happier things. We're going to find something we really want to enjoy. Uh, so, yes, Nightmare on Elm Street 2010. <laughs>